Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. And yes, this is a scripture I used a couple weeks ago. But this is also a sermon series. So it's likely that some of our scripture will overlap. And uh, as we look at this this morning, um, a couple things that we can see. But uh, Hebrews 5 is where we're going to be at. And we'll start in verse 7. I only read a couple of verses last time. I'm going to start in verse 7 this morning. But over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about growing uh, up, so to speak, maturing. And uh, we've talked about pain and different things that happen while we grow. Uh, How many of you remember your teenage years? Some of us a little easier than others, right? I mean, you're only, what, 21, Charlie? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At least twice over, right? (laughs) Um, But what we look at here is, in your teenage years, there's that little adolescent, I mean, we probably got Zach right here about to go through it. Do you ever just have pain that is unexplainable from nowhere? Do you ever just, okay, you haven't got there yet. (laughs) But you will. And then you're going to go and ask somebody, why am I hurting here? And they're going to tell you it's growing pains. That's what they'll tell you. It's pretty much something that you just go through and it happens. I mean, as you grow, you've got the, what was it? The cartilage or whatever where your bones are designed to where they can actually still expand a little bit until you reach that height that you're supposed to be at or your feet reach the size that they're supposed to be at and some that's why we're all a little different but you know my grandpa used to tell me told me but if it wasn't so much of me on the ground I would have been a tall man because he said that my feet were too big but you know there's there's all these little things that happen with that but as we've looked at this over the last couple of weeks we're really more getting into the idea of spiritual maturity and I think starting off the year this way, it's not us starting the year saying we're going to make resolutions or, or that we're going to, you know, we're going to do this because that's what I feel I need to do for 2018. No, it's not about 2018. It's about the rest of your life. And as Blake so eloquently put it a couple of weeks ago, you know, it has to be a life change and not just a, well, let's just. You know, I'll I'll do this for a month and see what happens. And, you know, we make these resolutions and we we resolve to be better. And my idea on that is just be better. I mean, resolving, looking forward to a specific date. Well, you know, I I had a rough year, so I'm just going to live the rest of this year the way I want to. And then next year, you know, or as I heard somebody put it the other day was, uh, well, I'm two weeks in and I've already messed up. So it looks like 2019 will be it. Really, you're going to live the rest of 2018 just how you want to because you messed up two weeks in. See, it's a journey. It's not the destination necessarily. Because the journey is what leads us to the destination. If we give up on the journey, if you're making a trip to Charlotte and you take a wrong turn in Wilkesboro, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't go that way. I always go to 21. But but say you make a wrong turn. Okay, you know, in Wilkesboro or Marion or somewhere. 
You make a wrong turn. Is that going to keep you from getting to Charlotte? If you don't get back on the path, yes. But did making the wrong turn change your destination? Exactly. And just because we mess up doesn't mean that we can't still get ourselves back on the path. Yes, we might have to double back. Yes, we might have to come back to a circumstance. And I'm sorry if I've moved down here. I moved down here and I'm away from Sharon's point of view now. It's okay. Are we good? All right. <laughs> but in chapter 5, I'm going to start back in verse 7. Verses 12 through 14 is what I read a couple weeks ago. But I want to look at this uh, together. It says, um, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all whom obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, this is talking about Christ. If I go back to the first part of this, verse 5, it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So, I, you know, I didn't give that little intro, so I went back to give it. This is God talking about Jesus. God is the one that exalted Christ to the high priest. We didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that himself, yet Jesus himself embraced that calling on his life. Today I want to talk a little bit about us maturing in speech. But what I also want us to do is understand that this entire series has been more about us maturing in faith. Not necessarily as becoming the Christian we ought to be, but becoming the child of God that we've been called to be. Understanding the calls on our lives. Understanding what God has called us to do. Understanding that desire that he has put within us is a little bit more than something we can just kind of brush off to the side. It's what we've been talking about with Romans. It's what we've been talking about on Sunday nights, even with Christ's return. All scripture comes back to this. I spit all over myself. Um, I'm excited about this one today, so I promise I'm going to do my best to get done quickly. But um, this whole week has been weird for me because today, as some of you may know, six years ago today was the day my dad passed away. So it's been a fun, interesting week. I've had a lot of time to think about it, thinking about uh, the weekend coming up, and I'm like, yeah, maybe I should call Blake and just have him do the whole thing, not show up, you know. But that's not what I want to do. That's not what my dad would have wanted me to do. And by far, that's not what God has called me to do. And as I prayed over it this week, and I looked at this sermon series, and I looked at what I was preaching, I was like, I, it's about time I quit living in that past. I quit worrying about that situation. I quit worrying about how that makes me feel. The reality of it is, is yes, I can actually sit here and, and pop, excuse me, pine over the situation, wishing that I had my mom and dad back, wishing that I had a circumstance different than I have it. But here's the reality. I don't. And no matter how many wishes I make on that, nothing is going to change the present that I'm in. And I want to encourage you by saying this. Nothing is changing who you are today except for you. 
Nothing can change the situation that you're in except for you and God together working to accomplish the plan that he is laying out in your life. If you only just take a moment to breathe, stop telling him your plans and let him tell you where you know from there. So here's the thing that we do far too often. We sit down and we decide that we want to tell God everything. God laughs, I'm pretty sure, at some of the things we come up with. Some of the things that we tell everybody that God's plan for our life is this. And God's sitting there going, I don't remember talking to you about this. Because we've forgotten about our prayer life. We've forgotten about our lifestyle. We've forgotten to even change remotely anything about who we are. And we put God in a box. And we've decided that certain verses stand for certain things. And by that, then we think that we know who God is. I'm here to tell you today. Had Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego operated that way, they would have never seen what they saw. They would have never been glorified the way they were glorified within that land. Had David, I mean, well, we have proof of what happens when David operated in that way. What did he do? He ended up having a man killed because he had committed adultery with his wife, right? When David operated within his own mind, David wasn't following the plan that God had for him. And David followed the steps of the world. So what we have here, and I've not even finished going where I'm going with the, with the scripture yet, but what we have here is Christ is being exalted by God. So we see that he is called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing the writer of Hebrews is really laying it out for the people right here. It's funny to look over the history of the Hebrew people, just as we discussed in Sunday school this morning. As I sat there this morning listening, I was like, man, this all sounds really familiar because it all continues to follow the same trend. The Hebrew people continue to turn their back on God. Yeah, they might fix it for a day or two. They might get it right for a week or a month. But then all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, their God got put back in a box. And he became the God they wanted him to be, not the God that he was. And along the path, their maturity level within their relationship with God always seemed to take a back seat to their own desires, their own wants, their own needs. And we talked about this over the last couple of weeks. And what we see in this is simply this that there's a lot to be said to us about how we should be maturing in the faith. Verses 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are, full, who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right. A couple weeks ago, we focused a little bit more on the, I guess, the quality of what we were taking in, right? I talked about how we needed the meat, not the milk. I want to focus on another section of this today because it's something that we highly overlook. It's something that we often lose focus on. But uh, before I do that, I want to tell a little story. Uh, I read a story 
about a man who, uh, he was scheduled to speak at an important business meeting. And just before he went up to speak, he was eating dinner. It was a dinner meeting. He was eating dinner and he bit down and he ended up breaking his dentures. Now everybody knows how hard it is to talk if you're missing a tooth or if you're missing something, you know? I mean, sometimes speech gets a little slurred anyway. I, I mean, I've watched people with dentures and I, I don't know anybody in here that has them, so I hope I'm safe in saying this. And please don't pop them out and show me right now. Um, <laughs> but what I do know is that I know people who have them and I've seen, sometimes they'll slip, sometimes they'll fall, whatever. They have to fit just right. They have to, you know, they need to be as much like your real teeth as they possibly can, right? So this guy's speaking, and he's, he's worried to death, and he leans over to this guy next to him, and he says, hey, uh, I just broke a tooth, and I'm supposed to give a speech. And the guy says, well, I've got some dentures here in my pocket. He said, I've got a few extras. And so he tries on the first pair, they're a little small, and tries on the second pair, they're a little big. Well, the third, pa- the third pair this guy had fit just right. The man got up, he finishes. He finishes meal. He got up. And he pre. Or he didn't preach. He he spoke and he shared the best uh, speech that he had ever shared in his life. And when it was done, he went back up to the benefactor, the guy that had given him these and thanked him. He said, "You were you were a rescuer tonight." He said, "You saved me," and uh, he said, "You really did me a great favor." You know, I've been looking for a good dentist. Where are you located? The guy looked at him and he said, oh, I'm not a dentist. I'm an undertaker. (laughs) But here's the thing. I tell that story, and yes, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but the thing is is that we find it uncomfortable to talk to people about anything. And a lot of times we find it really uncomfortable to open up about who we are or what we're facing. It wouldn't matter if they had their own teeth or someone else's in your mouth. It's difficult to talk to people, right? But the thing is, is sometimes we don't necessarily know who we're talking to either. Sometimes we get this wrong idea because of how someone presents themselves. So we've got to be careful. This is where spiritual maturity comes in. Do you think the man would have taken those teeth if he'd have known that was an undertaker? But thinking the guy's a dentist, well, only a dentist would carry around that many pairs of dentures, right? But the reality of it is, is that sometimes we jump head first into a situation before we fully take the opportunity to understand the situation. And sometimes it, that is what's required of us. Sometimes that's what God wants us to do. I mean, we can look through the scripture and see those situations. Noah, it had never rained before on the face of this earth. Noah jumped headlong into building an ark. He had to. That's what God asked him to do, right? See, it's about having that relationship with God in our lives today where we can see something happen. You know, it's interesting if we look at this and we think about all this, if we go back to the story of Moses and Moses was told by God to go back to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Moses had lived in Egypt. Moses had experienced it, albeit from the other side, what was happening in Egypt. Do you really think Moses believed that Pharaoh was going to let those people go? But Moses had to jump in head first because God couldn't accomplish what needed to be accomplished if Moses hadn't. Now, he could have. He could have done it through someone else. But the reality of it is, is Moses knew the God who asked him to go. 
Did Moses always get it right? No, we make mistakes, they did too. Moses hit the rock rather than ask it like he was told, right? We know those stories. But what we do know is that God told Moses to go back and uh, let my people go. But here's the funny thing that we sometimes skip over in the story of Moses, and we realize Moses is a lot like the rest of us today. Moses made an excuse as to why he couldn't do it. Moses made an excuse as to why he wasn't good enough to do what God had called him to do. And he said what? He said, I am slow of speech and tongue. Okay? In other words, I don't want to go. Please send someone else. I can't do what you're asking me to do. I'm not good enough to accomplish your plan. How many times do we tell God that? How many times do we tell God that we're not good enough to do what he asks us to do? How many times do we speak back to the one who simply wants us to go? Who simply asks us, go and do this task for me. God said, Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses responds with, I'm slow in speech. All right. I'm asking you to say four words, Moses. Four words. I need you to go to Pharaoh and say four words. And he's slow in speech. That is a funny thing to me. Because as I looked at this this week and I thought more about this this week, what I realized was, how dumb was that? But we do it every day. And sometimes God's not even asking us to speak. He's simply asking us to go. God, you know I'm a little slower than this guy over here. God, I, I hurt my ankle yesterday when I was walking down the sidewalk. I can't. I mean, how many times when we make excuses do they sound absolutely ridiculous? Because when I really got thinking about it, I'm like, wow, Moses said that? I mean, I hadn't even thought about that part of the story as much as I have over the last couple of days, because then I started thinking about my own excuses, my own situations, my own problems. And well, I, I just can't do that, God, because today, you know, it's a day that I, I just, I don't want to get out and see anyone on this day. I could have done that. I could have. I could avoid the problems I'm facing. I could avoid the circumstances and situations in my life. Yeah, I could do that. We all could, right? We could all avoid those circumstances and situations that we're facing today. I could avoid any type of situation if I would just stay home and not go. But the reality of it is, if God has called you to go, it doesn't matter what you think your flaw is. Because here's the thing, it's interesting how God responded to Moses. And God is responding to each one of us this way today. He said, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You know, we also see a similar response to Job from God. Because God begins to ask Job a hundred questions on who he is. Moses thought that his response to God about let my people go was, was good enough for him to say, all right, you know what, Moses, you're right. Your speech is slow. 
Four words could be tough for you to say, so we're going to move on and let somebody else go and do this. No. God looked at Moses and he said, who gave man the ability to speak? Who gave man the ability to see? Who gave man this opportunity? Isn't it me? Am I not the one who gave you life, who gave you speech, who gave you all of this? You know what effectively he's asking Moses? He's saying, do you really think I won't be there with you? Do you really think that I won't say this for you and use your words to do it? Do you really think that I won't give you the opportunity? In other words, God's saying, don't give me your excuses. I don't want to hear how much of a problem this might be for you. I want you to do it. (laughs) And if I ask you to do something... I will supply the ability and the resources. See, today I want to talk about the first part of verse 12, where it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. The writer of Hebrews is calling out the people saying, You've gone backwards. You've gone from meat to milk. And don't you realize that the only way that you can move forward is you have to become a teacher. Now, I'm going to get into something today that we probably, over the past two weeks, we've talked about what God desires from us. Over the past two weeks, we learned that God wants us to grow up like him, right? I talked about that over the last couple of weeks. He wants us to... uh, be out there and get mature to the point where when people see us, they see God's love. They see his mercy and they see his holiness in our lives. He wants us to get to that point in our lives. But most of all, when people see us being servants of others, they need to see God. Jesus in Matthew 5 said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise who? Your father in heaven. It's not about the glory you get because of how great you've been. It's not about the things that you can do on this earth. It's not about the fact that your speech might be a little bit slurred. You might be a little slow in tongue. You might not be able to say what God wants you to say. But God is saying to you today, I will say it through you. All I need is you to be the physical body in that room. All I need today from you is to go where I send you and open your mouth and let me handle the rest. I promise you, it will be taken care of. Maturing in speech, realizing today is exactly what God needs you to be. If we mature in speech, what we realize and come to realize is simply this. It is not us saying anything. If God has called you to the circumstance, if he has called you to be there and talk to someone today, if he has called you to share, it is your voice, it is your mouth that is opening, but it is God's words that are coming through you today because you are mature enough to listen and allow him to use you as an instrument, as a tool. He's speaking through you to be what needed to be in that circumstance. If I come in here on a Sunday morning or Blake comes in here on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or we come in here and we start to share the gospel according to us, number one, I really hope it falls on deaf ears. If we start speaking 
things that are not gospel message. If we start speaking things that are not scriptural, if things are coming out of our mouths that are not of God, number one, we're in the way if it's us saying it. Number two, there's a thing about, now I'm not saying we don't have conversations. I'm not saying we don't live our own life. But what I am saying is that we're taking this a step further this morning. And in the next couple minutes, I'm just going to simply open your mind to it and say this. We find that part of maturity, part of growing up as children of God, is getting to the point in our faith where we seek opportunities to teach others. Do you want to see God move in your life today? Then teach someone about the Spirit of God. If you want to see God move in your life today, then teach someone who God is. Teach someone about creation. Teach someone about the ways of God because I'm going to promise you today what is one thing you learned in school? That for you to retain information, what? Blake, you go do it right now probably. At some point in your class, the teacher may even give you an opportunity to get up and teach the class. Why? Because retention is more when you're teaching. Because you study it to the point. Because mentally, for some reason, it tricks our minds into remembering more. Because we want others to hear the true message of what's being said. So we study it a little more. We dive into it a little more. And we get ourselves in there so that we can share it the right way. You see how that works? Just sitting back on the sidelines and listening to the coach all day isn't going to get you anything. But if you're willing to go in and play the game according to the way that you know it should be played, you get better at the game you're playing. I mean, a basketball player who doesn't listen to anyone, I could talk about a specific example in my mind all week. The Cleveland Cavaliers have some of the best talent in the NBA, and they can't win a game right now, and they're giving up 150 points a game. Yes, that happened, 148 last night. I'm not a Cavaliers fan, but when the players won't listen to the coach and the players won't listen to each other and nobody wants to work together, that is not a team. We are a team at New England Christian Church. We need to work together. I've got to be able to work with Richie or Ernie or Pat or Sharon to get through something. It doesn't mean we have to agree on a situation. I mean, Blake and I might disagree on something, but together we can still work together for the common good of Christ's kingdom, right? It doesn't matter if we agree on something. Now, hopefully we do on the gospel. <laughs> and we do. But I'm just saying... You know, hopefully there's some common things that we may not agree on. We might not agree on whether or not we need curtains in here, which I'm actually kind of lobbying for at this point because reflections from the parking lot are kind of bright. But, <laughs> but we don't need them. I mean, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like, is that really a matter of our salvation? No. I can move, and I can get behind part of a wall that it's not going to blind me from. But I can't sit here and stress enough how important it is for us to be aware of who God is in our hearts and our lives and together move forward. Moses commanded parents to teach their children. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then this is really key. Impress them upon your children. 
Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 5 and 7, in case you want to look it up. 5 through 7. It doesn't stop at learn the laws of Jesus. It stops after it says impress them upon your children. Teach them. Talk about them. Don't just sit in silence and do nothing. That is not what we're called to do. But God, uh, according to, to was it Hebrews or Romans chapter 12, is it Romans 12? Talking about spiritual gifts. I know we're not there yet. I've got it in here, but I, I'm skipping ahead. 12. Yeah, it's Romans 12, where it talks about spiritual gifts, and it talks about the different things that are handed out according to the Spirit, that some teaching, some prophesying, some evangelism. We, we've talked about those before, right? You know what I'm talking about. And there are many in the church today that we use that as an excuse as to why they can't move forward as a teacher. Look, I'm not talking about teaching Sunday school right now. I'm not talking about you getting up and teaching in the, in the service. I'm not asking you to do what Blake and I do or what Joe does. What I'm asking you to do is go home, sit down, and teach your children. Go home, talk to a friend, teach them the ways of God. If we want to grow in spiritual maturity, it starts in our speech. And it might simply be that what we learn to talk about is Christ and Him crucified and the sacrifice He made. If we're not doing that, if He is not the matter of speech in our hearts, you know, the Scripture tells us out of the heart the mouth speaks, right? I would almost venture to tell you if He's not a topic of your conversation, there's a good chance He's also not a topic that's number one in your heart. If he doesn't come out of your mouth, if you're not talking about the Lord, if you've got more to talk about because of Facebook or Twitter or something you saw there, and I'm guilty of it as anyone, there are times where the Lord should be a part of my conversation, and for some reason, I just stay quiet. I remain quiet. I make excuses, and I'm here to tell you today, making excuses is the absolute worst thing that we can possibly do. Because if we can take a lesson from anything, Today, it's the fact that Moses stood before God, asked to say four words. More of what Moses needed to do was to go to, to go to Pharaoh and to simply ask him forward, let my people go. Maybe six. God says, let my people go. He's asking you to maybe say four words today. Four words. Four words that he's already told you. You can practice on the way. But nevertheless, you're the one that needs to save him. You're the one he's called to do the message. You're the one that he is asked to accomplish this task. Are you willing? Or are you sitting back? Are you making excuses? Because God still expects you and I to grow to the point where we seek to teach others about him. He expects us to mature in our speech. Just like we need to mature in ministry. You see, last week I talked about ministry. No, this is not the same thing. Last week I talked about all of us being ministers, but sometimes we want to kind of adhere to what is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I'm not actually sure it's actually his quote. Um, but and in fact, I'm not even sure that there's a theological base to it. But sometimes we have gotten to the point where we want to sit back and practice the whole 
Preach the gospel at all times, but necessary use words. Um, no. Yes, our lives should be an example of Christ. Our lives should be an example, but when we need to use words, we stop making excuses. But to be honest with you, actions, I think that's really just another way of us saying actions speak louder than words. Because if we're going to speak something, we better put something behind it. We better live it. You know, that's why Paul made it a point to point out that he doesn't only say those things, he lives those things because he doesn't want to be disqualified. Do you want to be disqualified today because you're living a life that is a lie based on what you're saying? Because a lot of times we speak from up here. Spiritual maturity starts when we learn to shut our trap and open it when led. Spiritual maturity in speech starts when we close our mouths, when we stop talking from here and we let this do the talking. I used to hear growing up that the road to hell was 18 inches long, which is distance from the brain to your heart. Because there's a lot of people in church who get it right here. A lot of people in church who understand it right here. A lot of people in church who think they've got it all together. It's all up here. They know the verses. They can pray the prayers. They can say what needs to be said. They are so eloquent when it comes to speaking. But here's the deal. They've never once had to barter with their heart to show God that they truly mean what they say. See, Moses argued with God because Moses here didn't want to do it. But when the purpose came and Moses finally went, God said, look, I'm going to give you everything you need. Here's Aaron. He can speak for you. We'll, we'll do this the way that you need it done. But you are the man I have called to accomplish this task. Is he saying that to you today? Is he saying to you today, Brenda, Tammy, Ernie, I need you to accomplish this task. And only you can do it. Sharon, I don't care what excuses you've got for me today. This is what I need you to do, and you're going in. I'm calling you up to service. But had military called you into service and you had flat out said no, what would they have done to you? They didn't call me a volunteer. But you see what I'm saying? Like if, if you volunteer for service and then they call you into duty and they say, say look, your assignment is this, and, and you make an excuse as to why you can't go, what will they do? God's a little more gracious than that. But the reality of it is, is yes, they do have the right to shoot you on sight. They also have the right to charge you with treason. They have the right to charge you and dishonorably discharge you, to which will basically say you can't do anything else for the rest of your life because you refuse to serve your country. Being shot on sight would be more merciful. You're right. See, God wanted Moses to accomplish the task. And he said, let's do this together. And Moses was making all the excuses in the book. You know, he's not asking you. He's not telling you. He's not, he's not calling you up to do anything that you couldn't do on you, you know, without him. He's not telling you to go and do something that he's going to leave you behind and watch it happen. He's not asking you to go to the ends of the earth to share the message, just to run away and watch you get eaten alive by the world. God says, I will be with you. He promises never to leave us and forsake us. 
But speak, but maturing in our speech comes when we close our mouths and we listen to God and allow Him to speak through us. It means that sometimes we keep our mouths shut in the circumstances when we want to make excuses or when we want to cause a stir, when we want to cause a fight with someone. It means sometimes we just need to remain quiet and allow God to speak. And if that means we open our mouth and He speaks to us, then great. But it's learning when and where to use your words. And when and where to allow His to be spoken through you. That's what He's calling us to do today. And I want to close it up with this. Maybe the fact of all of this is, you know, in Deuteronomy, we, we said that it, it means talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, basically every little aspect of your life. Or maybe it's Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, whether you do it in word or in deed, do it as unto the Lord. For us to become spiritually mature, we have to accept that into our hearts and lives today. As we wrap things up, I just got one quick story. Teresa Carrington wrote a story about a children's Sunday school class that she took part in. And I came across this and I thought it was great because it's, the assignment was to read Isaiah chapter 9. And they went home, they read Isaiah chapter 9, they returned the next week, and she asked how many had remembered to read the chapter. Every kid in the class raised their hand. Sunday school teachers, have you ever taught Sunday school? Does this not happen all the time? <laughs> kids are like, well, I don't want to be the one kid that didn't read. So every hand in the room goes up. And she says, okay, wonderful. We can have a great discussion. You remember the first verse, and everyone was completely silent. A few of the youngsters furiously started turning in their Bible trying to, to find the answer. And she says, I'll give you a bit of help. The people who walked in darkness, still no answer. She says, I have a candy bar for the first one who can complete the verse. So then she started kidding. A lot of answers. Um, use less electricity. Stub their toes a lot. Spend most of their time sleeping. Are usually burglars. Could really use a flashlight. Now again, this is a children's class. About that time, someone finally found a verse and read, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You know, now this was a class of kids, but I want you to understand something. Basically, adults do this too. How many times do we interject things we think the scripture says? And without stressing the Bible in our lives without stressing this in our hearts, we're going to miss the point. We're going to miss the opportunity. Basically, the last thing I want to say to this, the importance that we have of seeking to grow and being able to teach others is perhaps the most important. This is the most important thing I'm going to say all morning. And that is, it goes to the very heart of Christianity. It basically goes to the most powerful religion in the world. Now, I'm not talking about religions or anything like that, but I'm simply saying David wrote this in Psalm 119. It says, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Paul later wrote in 2 Corinthians, 
He said, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have a divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Folks, that's power. When we can take the call that God has on our lives and it can stand up to the strongest of armies, that's God. Look what he did through Gideon. Look what he did through the scripture. Look at the stories over and over and over again about the power of God. And he didn't accomplish that with a bullet. He didn't accomplish that with a war of words. I mean, let's go back to Moses for a moment. He asked Moses to do what? Say four words. That's not a battle of words, folks. All God wants for you to reach maturity today. And as we'll finish up next week, we'll talk about how we need to become like Christ. But all God wants to do to accomplish it through you today is for you to be willing to say what he needs you to say and to go where he needs you to go, to do what he needs you to do. He's asking you maybe to say four words. It may not be let my people go, but I promise you it's not going to be much harder than that. Because God's not about making it difficult. God is about leading you where you need to go. If you're willing to take that step today, then do. We're going to sing one verse, trust and obey, number 11. We'll sing the first verse. But if you have a decision to make, come forward. Make that decision. And let's do this together. Let's move forward. It starts with our maturity. If we're going to move forward as a church, if we're going to continue growing as a church, if we're going to continue becoming what we need to become as a church, it starts with us becoming mature. Number 11, trust and obey.